Welcome back to another episode of the Sunday Puncher Podcast. My name is Angelo. I am your host here today to take you on a conversation about Gervonta Davis's knockout over Rolando Romero. We're going to talk a little bit, just a little tiny bit about the undercard. We're going to talk about Anthony Joshua's big new move. I wonder what that could be. And of course, we have two fantastic fights coming up this coming weekend. George Cambosos, Devin Haney, Stephen Fulton, Danny Roman. It really doesn't get much better than that. And I got here with me none other than Tom Cody, who was at the Tank fight this past weekend. Tom, it has been a while since you've been on. So just go tell everybody why you haven't been on. Tell them how I'm the bad person and I told everybody, or I told you that nobody wants to hear what you got to say. Yeah, first hashtag free Fred, then hashtag free time Cody. No, I mean, you know, it's just uh, uh, family stuff, not in any bad way even, but, you know, you go through different phases of your life and uh, go in and out of boxing. I mean, and, you know, boxing's been, just had other stuff going. Um, but yeah, it's it's good to be back. And especially, I mean, I'm uh, uh, definitely going to be taking, not in, uh, sometimes I feel like we're, we're more towards an equal footing in terms of what we're talking about. Uh, here, uh, definitely going to take a backseat. Uh, try to try to go more towards asking you about stuff that I'm interested in that I might not know about from recent months. But uh, you know, the one thing I do have firsthand knowledge about was attending the event live, so I can give you know a rundown on that. We should have did a podcast where it's like Tom Cody catches up and is like, "All right, I've been in a slumber for X amount of months, which is <laughs> it, which hasn't been a lot of months, but it feels like." Anytime, like for me, even if I take like a weekend off of like, oh, I'm busy this weekend and I'm like, I'm leaving town on Thursday, I'll come back Monday morning. It feels like a world or not a world, but like it feels like a year in terms of, well, compared to how I normally follow the sport, you know, it feels like I know nothing anymore. Yeah. I mean, I'll just to comment on that. I mean, it's like, I'm still aware I'm on the discord every day, you know, reading, even if I'm not posting, but it's like, and it, you know, always pay attention to the results, but the level of commitment that I'm used to, to the sport is, you know, watching all the fights, watching, you know, a lot of tape leading up to the fights, rewatching fights for interesting things afterwards, you know, uh, sometimes making clips and maybe sometimes not. I mean, I'm reminded of something Tim Boxeo uh, said a review of one of the podcasts we had done together where I was, I don't know, I was talking about something about being a casual uh, over the course of the episode, but also in the same episode talked about my like scoring notebook <laughs> with like, you know, custom made for like scorecards so I could keep track of my live scores for fights. And he was like, you know, you don't have a notebook like that if you're a casual fan. And it's just like the spectrum of commitment for boxing that I think we're used to within our community mm-hmm. is like so heavy. Yeah, like I feel like people who follow the NBA or or you know Major League Baseball, maybe sometimes they're just like listening to what the scores were, listening to like sports talk radio, aren't necessarily watching that many games per week or even that many like hours of baseball. But um, I feel like boxing is a sport you're really expected to, you know, again at least in our community, watch so much of it uh, to be able to have an informed take. Otherwise, you're really on the sidelines. Yeah, that's that's more of where I am. It's not like I've abandoned the sport, but I feel like I haven't followed it with a level of commitment where I could reasonably do the podcast, which is why I just get that out of the way up front. You should have. This is definitely me in the backseat. You should have went full heel and said, like, I haven't abandoned the sport. The sport's abandoned me. And then went on some, like, super (laughs) boomer take. Yeah, I mean, I... About how the shorts are too baggy now. (laughs) Well, yeah, I don't... God, I mean, there are enough people saying that anyway, but... 
Um, no, and I, I, I <laughs> well, well, we'll get to the Gervonta Davis card when we get to it. Uh, but uh, oh, how fitting! Yeah, anyway, yeah, yeah let, nice, me, let me lead us nice, into that. Uh, so, segue. Yeah, Saturday night we had. Uh, I mean, there was a lot of crossover media coverage that I saw. The the fight got a lot of attention from outlets you don't typically see covering the fight. A large part of that was the appearance of Madonna, who like, I mean, outside of having some real bangers, um, we don't really see too much of her these days. It, it's It's been a while, but she showed up at the fight, had some like conversation with somebody where she's picking tank and all that. Like all these outlets are covering the, the, the card in addition to, you know, the usual suspects. But anyway, you were there. Just tell me how was the event? How did it compare to other Barclays? Um, it broke records. The, the crowd looked great on TV, uh, but you were there. So take us there. How was it? Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. I mean, I've talked about this with Lex over the years because we were both at Tank's like coming out party at the Barclays Center. It was on a Badu Jack undercard when he fought Jose Pedraza. And like he had more fans there than the main event. And it's been interesting. You know, he hasn't been back at the Barclays Center. The PBC hasn't been back back at the Barclays Center. I think this is uh, only his third fight there. He also fought on, I think, a Broner undercard. I think it was Broner Vargas. Um, yeah, Broner Vargas. And um, yeah, I mean, it was nuts. I mean, you know, we talked about that in the chat, how how Gervonta Davis's career has really just exploded outside of any precedent that we can think of. You know, there's no one thing you can really put your finger on from what we're traditionally used to in boxing. But I mean, it was just such a crossover event. The amount of celebrities and professional uh, athletes uh, that were there was just crazy. Um, We were moved off of ringside for media. Um, You know, shout out to whoever does the credentials because I, um, you know, was definitely very happy with my seat. Um, but we were we were at sort of a, at a slightly elevated platform still on the floor, which is actually excellent because we basically had direct eye line to the ring, you know, like height wise. Um, but the result of that was we just saw these just, you know, massive groups of, you know, celebrities. I mean, people incredibly fashionably. I mean, it was like a version of the Met Gala. <laughs> I'm probably the only person to make a comment like that. But it was like this was like the center of culture for like. A subculture that a lot of people, I think, don't understand. And if I'm being honest, I, you know, I'm not at the center of this either. We didn't think you were, Tom. Um, we get what you're what you're alluding to, and we were like, yeah, Tom Cody is observing from the outside, but he's not trying to speak on what it actually is. Well, I just mean also like if you see like you know Ring Magazine people giving horrible takes over the last few days, you know, there there are a lot of people who just clearly do not understand this at all. Um, Corey Erdman did had a great. Um, yeah, to, Corey. Uh, yeah, Corey. Corey. Yeah, um, had a great uh, boxing scene article. Yeah, yeah. Shout out, Corey. Um, you know, talking about this. I mean, this was more of a cultural thing than just a pure sports thing. I mean, I think a lot of people look at this and say, like, Raleigh, or you know, Raleigh. Uh, who cares? You know, he's not that great. He had this, you know, close fight against a lower level, you know, whatever. But I mean, th- that that was not the the headline. I mean, the headline here was the you know the cultural significance of this the pop cultural significance to this i mean it was just absolutely crazy uh did it feel like barclays was more sold out than it typically has in the past and you've been to some fights at barclays that did pretty yeah, decent I've been crowds to all of the biggest events uh um, you know wilder brazil you, you were at that one how did this one compare in terms of Wild, like wilder just sh- brazil and uh thurman danny garcia were the mm-hmm. two biggest, and probably the third was uh, Thurman, Sean Porter. 
And this was just another level, you know, because you'd always be looking at those events, you know, as the crowd fills in, uh, how much how much the crowd is there, how high up are they? And, uh, you know, it's uh, excuse me. I mean, how high is it getting filled up? You know, because there would always be the kind of nosebleed sections, which would be empty. It's like, what's the difference between like uh, a full house, a capacity crowd and like a true sellout? And this definitely felt like a true sellout. They had every section filled. And um, I, I sort of didn't finish that thought before when I was saying how they moved us away from ringside. That was because, you know, they needed to sell all of those multi-thousand dollar tickets. You know, they weren't going to give up, um, you know, a million dollars maybe in ringside seats uh, mm-hmm. for press row. Um, yeah, it was it was bonkers. I mean, this was definitely another level. I mean, Just the- a, a, little, uh, a little tidbit there. At Charlo Castaño, there was no press ringside. They, there was no, like everything on the floor was sold tickets. Yeah. So, so maybe this is a new move for, um, uh, new move for the way PBC is doing things. Um, yeah. I mean, I think everyone should do it. Like, first of all, if you're covering the sport, you probably want a, a that sort of slightly elevated view. Um, even though it's not as close, the slightly elevated view is a better view. That's more consistent with what you see on TV. Um, and you get the added benefit of like, uh, selling those tickets. But like you, you look at this one, you look at, uh, the Taylor Serrano fight, which was a few weeks ago in New York. Like is, is New York just like, you guys thirsty for some fights? Uh, I mean, that's the story of the whole economy, right? I mean, people are, are a large number of people who even like a few months ago might've felt like the pandemic was not over now feel it is over, um, you know, you're seeing that huge. You guys heard of- it here first. Tom Cody, Javante Tank Davis ended the pandemic. Well, I mean, it's, you know, the same <laughs> weekend, like top, you know, there's big headlines about like Top Gun doing huge numbers. I mean, you know, I, I, I don't it? say that it's like a boxing. Oh, yeah. Not Marvel numbers, but it did uh, big numbers for what was specifically brought back a lot of like demographically brought back a lot of like older people. Oh, and, yeah. The uh, and uh, yeah, these numbers are pretty strong. Very, very strong. Yeah, and even more so demographically. Like through the whole pandemic, it's been mostly only young people going to the theaters, which is why comic movies. Have well, nobody really well, but... under the age of like twenty five gives a shit about Top Gun. Let's be real. But yeah, yeah. Well, so uh, <laughs> yes, I fit into the camp of people who saw it this week. Yeah, <laughs> if that's anyway. About my let's age. get but back yeah, to, to get the back fight. to this though. But yeah, um, just to to put this another way, seeing like Thurman. Garcia, seeing like the run of like Thurman's fights at the Barclays Center, like it felt like it went from super hard. Like if a Barclays fight traditionally did around like eighty five hundred, which was like a Sean Porter, Andre Berto, that was one of like the lesser ones, to like a Keith Thurman, Danny Garcia, which I think was around like fifteen thousand. Um, what you would see was hardcore boxing fans on the lower end, and when you would have the like uh, more attended fights, it was more casual boxing fans. This was something totally different. These were tank fans. This wasn't like the normal bar. I mean, yeah, to some extent you had the normal bar, you know, in terms of filling up all the numbers, but there were huge numbers of people here who were like uh, Gervonta Davis fans. And something which was interesting was like, typically pay-per-view events, people don't fill. I mean, you know this from going to a million events, like uh, yeah. the, the you know, the people who are paying thousands of dollars for tickets will frequently be out, you know, drinking at the restaurants and stuff in the venue. Something that was interesting here was it actually filled in relatively early because I think yeah. it just felt like it was such like a scene. There was I've never seen this much people watching at a fight. I mean, I've also never covered a big Vegas event in the way that you have, but the people watching was like on the floor. 
It was just yeah. crazy. Like no one was in their seats ever. I mean, people were going around, you know, taking pictures and just wanted to see who was there. Uh, like yeah. the people at the venue kept trying to get people to just sit down because the floor was just people. It, it felt like a party. You know, it was like people standing up, just sort of like mixing something around. I said after Castan or the Charlo Castano fight as well. Very different vibe at these fights uh, that I at least the one that I've been to seems like this one too. very different vibe. Uh, and it looks like, you know, with Haney and Cambosos, I, I don't think that there's any way that that doesn't come off great on TV. Uh, given it's going to be in Australia, and I've seen how the Australians invade our Discord and Reddit when their guys fight. Even guys, it's like if I'm say on this podcast, like you'd be like, "Who?" Um, and then the the armory usually turns out. I mean, we are on a really really nice stretch. I mean, it even goes back to Fury and White and Spence and Ugas. I mean, really really strong run in the sport. But anyway, um, Tank scored a six round knockout, beautiful sweeping left hook that Roly basically um, got walked into. He got up. Fight was waved off. Question is, did you think the stoppage was a good one in the moment? So not after the fact. I want to know you standing there. You see the ref wave his hands. How'd you feel? Was the stoppage a good one? No one in the arena was surprised. I didn't get that. I was really surprised to see anyone even discussing that. It seemed like a perfectly reasonable stoppage. I mean, he was so hurt. I mean, it looked like he got hit in the head with a cinder. <laughs> um, I mean, it was also just to, to give a slightly, you know, to give the take in the building. The feeling through the um, Lara Spike O'Sullivan fight was like, why aren't they stopping this fight? Because uh, Spike got, you know, concuss- seemingly, you know, concussed multiple times, but it was always like at the end of the round. Mm-hmm. So definitely, like, on press row, this vibe was sort of like, why, why are you letting these fights go on? If a fighter gets hurt that much, just stop it. You're just prolonging the beating. And there had been a few things like that on the undercard. In the Jaleel Hackett fight, um, Jaleel landed, like, a massive right hand, knocked the mouthpiece out. And then, like, Arthur McCanty stopped the action just to put the One of the worst referees in. in the sport. Didn't even call it a knockdown. It was just, like... It was like, I, I did a little piece on it for the website. And I was like, is he stopping the fight? Is he, you know, what's happening here? And then it was like, oh, we just paused to put the, the head, you know, mouthpiece back. And even with the like 30 second break, Jalil got the stoppage immediately after that. Yeah. And um, so there had been a, a few on the undercards, so the feel in the venue. And, you know, that permeates into the officials and stuff too. Is sort of like, you know, you, it, it was literally like the exact same thing that had happened in those two other fights. Like, let's just end this, you know? Well, in the moment for me, I, I thought that Roly was pretty gone, but having watched the fights earlier, like you said, and they, they were allowed to go on, it was a little shocking to me that he stopped it because he gave Roly the instruction to step to your left. Roly was uh, looking right through through him, very glassy-eyed, but he did follow the instructions. So I was like, oh boy, here we go. Uh, but I thought that was a really good stoppage. I think, um, and the thing that I'm actually impressed with is that so many people seem to share that take that it was a good stoppage because it really was. Uh, Roly, you, you, uh, I don't know if you have seen this, but remarked after to his dad, I think it was, what happened. As in, he had no clue how he had found himself needing to get up off the canvas. Didn't even go to the like the most obvious logical thing, which is also a really interesting. Uh, insight into a boxer's mindset that he didn't put connect the dots there that maybe he had gotten knocked out or knocked down 
Uh, but instead, it was like, you know, <laughs> what happened? So yeah, and that, that's why it's good to get the point of view from TV. I mean, I obviously don't have a perspective of his own. And then especially when they were showing the replay, I mean, it just, again, seemed to be such a heavy shot. I mean, that's it's funny to hear that it was even thought out at all to be controversial. Was was the crowd eating up tanks like uh, kept talking to the crowd? It, it, it seemed like overall tank uh, came into the ring expecting like him. He, he knew that he was going to win and he was here enjoying the moment where he because he could. He knew that he could. And he seemed to have a really good time. We've seen him smile more than he's ever smiled. I mean, maybe it was the pressure of not having to be the one to sell the fight because Roley was doing everything he could to sell the fight. You know, that might have came into play where Tank was able to feel a lot more comfortable. But I mean, was the crowd eating all that stuff up? Oh, my God. Yeah, I don't know. I don't again. I don't know how much that came across on TV. But I mean. Just just a few more words about that. I did I didn't want to keep going. I mean, I could. I mean, this is the just a totally unique atmosphere from every ever uh, a fight that I've ever gone to. It was totally unique. Uh, the entire arena, and I don't know, maybe if I'm being specific, like ninety eight percent of the arena uh, was on their feet for the entire tank fight. Like I saw they a tweet stood up about that. Yeah, that, and I was like, down. I doubt that, but I, okay, I no, guess I'll was, believe you. Literally, everyone was standing up because it was. All, I mean, it's also partly a thing of everyone in front of you is standing up, and you're you you know, behind yeah. them. You need to stand up. But uh, it was funny. Marcus Brown was in the last row of press row, and there were people behind him. So like, uh, like just standing up, not in their seats. Who kept like he kept kind of like getting into it with people. There was a Roly fan behind him who kept trolling him. And Kelly Swan, uh, probably, should, I don't know, maybe we can fast forward through this, but she uh, she kept trying to get Marcus Brown to settle down. She's like, you know, we don't we don't even have any kind of incident here. But uh, that, was, that was related to, again, this kind of, uh, partly to the, the standing thing. But no, I mean, everyone was expecting like something crazy is going to happen. I mean, this was, it's funny. I think about like something I rarely mentioned on the, the podcast is like times I've talked about boxing with my dad because he, he had watched boxing very, very casually in totally other era. And like the way he relates to boxing is just like so casual and so like of another era. It doesn't resemble our discussion of the sport at all. But this was like a level of the sport that worked to that. You know, it's like you always have uh, the idiot in the crowd who's yelling like hit him in the face or something. <laughs> and this was a fight yeah. that like worked on that level. You know, people were there watching a spectacle of a boxing match. They didn't know necessarily that like the punch volume from Tank was low or any kind of analysis like that. It was like he's looking for a heavy sh- i mean they got it on like sort of a primal level it's like uh we've got two guys they're both looking to knock the other guy out and you know if tank lands his big shot the fight's going to be over and you know they were waiting for him to do it and he delivered it um you know i've talked about this story with uh a- a tons of times in the podcast that like a triple g jacobs there was a, a- uh, Triple G fan behind me who had brought a friend and he kept telling him, oh, he's going to blow him out, you know, pitching it as like, this is the new Mike Tyson. And then when it wasn't a knockout, they literally left before the end of the fight, even though I think most <laughs> people thought that was a great fight. It like, it wasn't what they came expecting. And this was a fight. Everyone there was expecting to, you know, a knockout, uh, you know, for them, hopefully tank to get a knockout. And he totally delivered that. So, I mean, again, people were on their feet just waiting for the, you know, this moment to happen. And he tanked totally delivered. Um, yeah. So for during the fight, the the Showtime commentary, which had a pretty off night, in my opinion, actually, the whole, all the, every, the you know, that plus Jim Gray off night. But they kept talking about Roley racking up rounds, that he was winning rounds and everything like that. 
And uh, but, but and, you know, obviously, obviously, there's Roley who said that, you know, I won every second of the round. I exposed him, blah, blah, blah. To me, it that's not what I saw. Um, and, and to me, very soon into the fight, um, Jim Lampley used to say something all the time that the phrase is stuck, even if he is gone from the sport. But the phrase is something like, you know, here are the numbers. They're academic. Meaning they don't mean anything because like you can parse them any which way you want. The result was the result. Usually at the, it would be said after a stoppage or a knockout. But like, you know, for the argument that people are having about the, the way the rounds are being scored, it was really clear to me in the first round that the scoring would be academic. And that if you were scoring the fight, you were probably wasting your time. Because neither guy was there to win a boxing match. And neither guy was actually trying to win a boxing match. Tank wasn't trying to work a jab. Uh, Roley does not know how to work a jab and did not do so. Um, <laughs> it was clear that every every action that these guys were taking in the ring was to set up a knockout and to score a knockout. That was abundantly clear. And, um, you know, Tank is the best or one of if not the best in the business at, at setting these things up. And um, yeah, it, I, I don't understand how people are, were looking at the scorecards and really feeling strongly about scoring this fight. I mean, it just seemed really weird. Uh, how did it look to you? I mean, were you, did you fall into that trap of thinking that the rounds were mattering? No, not at all. And I mean, again, you know, this is partly how I get a skewed perspective being on press row because you know, um, that's not like a leadistress thing, but, gen- you know, and as much as we clown people, it's like, I feel like, you know, people generally have an idea of kind of what's happening. Um, I mean, the, the, this is a random pull, but the fight it reminded me of was uh, Oscar De La Hoya versus Ricardo Mayorga. Like, De La Hoya's whole thing in that fight, and this is a random Roley pull. Roley did but get like, a lot of comps to Mayorga before the fight, so... Kind yeah, of you know, I've been so out of it. I don't even really know that um, outside of like listening to the, you know, Sunday Puncher podcast. I, I was really wasn't following Twitter that closely. But yeah, I mean, it was like in that fight, De La Hoya, who wasn't necessarily thought of as being a huge power puncher at that point in his career, was against Mayorga, the super wild guy. And uh, he was it was very clear as the fight was happening, and especially in hindsight, if you rewatch that, that he was trying to goad Mayorga into throwing something big so he could land a big counter. And, you know, that's, exa- you know, and he ended up scoring a guy who really at that stage of his career is not known as being a huge power puncher. That That's how it played out, you know, and people early on thought like, oh, you know, he's letting Mayorga getting away with this stuff. But he was just waiting for him to make a big mistake that he could land a big counter against. And that's exactly what happened in this fight. I mean, it was so clear that that's what I mean. Um, I, I don't know. I don't want to throw around like you don't know shit about boxing to anyone who didn't understand that. But. I feel like, well, yeah, you I don't mean, know shit about boxing. It's like, you know, if you're trying to win rounds, you 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 have a completely different strategy. I mean, this was, you know, it, you know, you'd have to not know anything about who Roley, uh, you know, tank or just how boxing works to kind of not get that. Well, it, in in the corner as well, it was really clear that from the instructions that tank was getting, they were just waiting. They were waiting for Roley to essentially um, start to punch himself out for Roley to to make the mistake and to just kind of string him along a little bit deeper into the fight. And it seemed like once Calvin, uh, Coach Calvin started to give him, give Tank the indication that it was time to start to turn it on, that's pretty pretty quickly 
after the fight was over. And so, I mean, that I don't know. I, I, I was kind of shocked with some of the responses to the fight because it really seemed to me like this was exactly how the fight was supposed to go. I had a conversation with somebody who was asking me for advice on betting it. And I was like, they were like, it says something along the lines of there's no way Roly lasts more than two rounds with this guy. He's going to get brutally knocked out. And I was like, no, I think you, uh, I think you've reached the correct conclusion, but how you got there is incorrect. Cause to me, tank is a defensive fighter. He does not like go in there. I mean, not to compare him to Jamel, but very similar to Jamel Charlo. We're like, Jamel has actually got a pretty low output. He's constantly setting things up. He's going to be defensive at times. And then when he's when it's time to let his hands go, he's going to do that. And I felt like Tank, I feel like Tank does a lot of the same thing. Um, and he was going to treat Roly with respect. And, and Roly did look dangerous in that fight. I mean, he's a very big fighter, even though the height difference isn't that big. Roly looks like a guy that could be or should be at 140. And you can see him very easily getting in getting at 147 and like not looking out of place, at least physically. I mean, once you see him like, you know, throw punches, then you're like, uh, yeah, maybe you need to go somewhere where you have more of a size advantage. Yeah, but, I uh, mean, oh, sorry. Yeah. No, go on, go on, go on. Yeah, no, just to respond to, to that a little bit. I mean, it's like, um, if if I don't know if if the the words that I used, but maybe to to, to refocus what I was saying, it wasn't necessarily that I thought uh, Tank was going to land one punch and you know the fight was necessarily going to end in a knockout right then, but it was more like Tank was looking to land big shots, which were going to change the trajectory of the fight from you know hurt standpoint of hurting Rolly or whatever, you know. Um, yeah, I mean the, the early knockout thing never made a super amount of sense, just from the standpoint of um, you know Rolly. Didn't seem to have ever been hit, as you were saying. He was big, also, but um, I don't know. It's just how both of them fight. I don't know. Um, yeah, <laughs> maybe not a good response, but yeah. Anyway, you can continue. Uh, well, I mean, that that's that's it. Uh, anyway, where where does Tank go from here? And I'm curious to see what your decision is or what your your pick is. Uh, most of the guys in lightweight division are tied up for the foreseeable future. So, like, what are they going to do with Tank? That's a good question, and it's one I, I definitely was uh, planning to throw back at you. Um, sure. I can get my like super casual. Do that. Oh, sure. Uh, so why don't you, you can go first, or otherwise I give a very casual. Take no, no, no. I want I want to hear the casual take first. You know, and then I'm, not, I'm, gonna... I'm not deuce here. I don't know all the the behind the scenes stuff, but you go um, first because I'm going to bring. You know, the they hot had take. seriously tried to do the the Ryan Garcia fight in the past. I mean, we know that now that all the the behind the scenes stuff have come out that basically Ryan side screwed that up. Mm -hmm. um that fight would still be huge i mean ryan was out playing the social media you know he had that <laughs> the thing that he made a bet with errol spence i mean he just he plays social media on another level that a lot of people in boxing don't don't even understand how to relate to but i mean you know that that would be a massive fight and talking about this sort of tank as a crossover pop culture figure ryan garcia who also did a surprisingly strong gate against absolutely zero opponent in his last fight I think that's fight. This is a fight which could be good now. And another reason mm -hmm. I say that, and it's part of the thing with like the the Roly fight as opposed to something else. Like Michelle Rivera, very good fighter. Fr Frank Martin, very good fighter. Um, you know, Rayo coming up. You know, they've they've got a good stable over at PBC Showtime, building up potential opponents for Tank. But I feel like a lot of those guys are going to keep winning and getting better and building their status. Um, 
Ryan Garcia, I feel like potentially could lose at some point. <laughs> it's sort of part of the reason for doing like the Roly fight now. Um, you know, Roly the Roly fight was a lot about personality, um, more so than like you know accomplishments he might rack up in boxing. I feel like this is a good good moment to pull the trigger on the Ryan Garcia fight. I I wouldn't wait on that, but you know, outside of that, like I said, there's this pool of other guys, but uh, I, it's hard to say about the timing of those. Um, so, so yeah, your your comment. The the fight that's happening next is the Ryan Garcia fight. There there's just I don't there's no logical way that that isn't the next fight. Um, yes, it's true that on two separate occasions they've tried to get Golden Boy and Ryan Garcia on board to make a fight happen between these two guys. And like think about it, it is the most natural fight to make. It's the one that everyone in the division wants. I mean, and not only that, there's no lightweight fight that makes more money than Tank versus Ryan Garcia. And in the whole grand scheme of the sport, there are very few fights that would make more money than a Tank versus Ryan Garcia fight. And these two guys, by the way, are continuing to see their star ascend, which is something that, I mean, you can't say about a lot of guys in the sport, you know? And so that is the fight that logically makes the most sense. Uh, they've tried twice before, and I think at this point, Ryan Garcia's got enough exposure to, or, and, and uh, exposure is not the right word th- that I'm looking for. It has a connotation that I don't mean, but like, I think Ryan Garcia, I think, has wised up to the business side of boxing. You know, he's kind of made some mistakes. He's he had the mistake where he kind of hastily re-upped his deal with Golden Boy because he wasn't mad after one fight. And then, but, but then brought in a lawyer to help him out. Who's been a pretty effective person in the past at navigating fighters careers and uh, circumventing certain clauses or things in contracts. Then you have the fact that um, he's met with the Showtime people. He's talked to Leonard Ellerby. I mean, he also said fuck Golden Boy at the card, which like, I mean, even if that's true, Ryan, that's not a good look for you. But uh, yeah, I just think logically there's no other way to go. I think I think they've been trying to set this up. I have a slightly up. different take on the fuck Golden Boy, by the way. Just slightly. You think he, it's something. good that he said that? I Yeah, I think I think what he said was, I think the point was like, don't make that an excuse for not making the that 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 was my take on it. Was he wasn't literally saying like "fuck my promoter"? No, he was I think saying, that's like, what he we meant. We can get this done. Don't make that. You know, basically like don't make it at both sides of the. Screen. No, no, no. That's not what he meant. What he meant is, uh, I don't care about them. Fuck them. Ignore them. I'll make this happen. He he was trying to uh, nut up right there and make it like he's the big boss calling the shots. That's what he was trying to well, do there. That's only like five percent different than. But anyway, you, it's a it's a big you. deal. It's a it's a big deal, I think, because he's essentially trying to say I'm the dude in charge running the show here, which I would hope would be true. and would be nice if it was true, but uh, I don't think so. And I just hope that this dude doesn't find himself in court instead of in the ring with Tank. So I think that it it, it just now seems like the right time to make that fight. Um, so yeah, that's where I think it goes. The other part is uh. And I think this one is just as interesting. Is where does Roly go? Because Lex thinks he got himself a moral victory, um, which would mean that he's kind of erased his stigma of being like this this like brute 
guy who has very little skill um, and is whatever you could say about his skills. And then there's also, you know, the whole fact that he was accused of sexual assault last year. All of that seems to have like kind of been erased and people find him. I, the, the amount of people that I've seen say and, and really change their, their tune on him where they're like, oh, Roly is a, a bad guy, like a, a bad guy in quotes. And we need more bad guys in boxing. Meaning, he, you know, he plays the heel. So where do you think he goes next? Like, what do you think is interesting for him? And, and I want to preface that by saying, I, I, I think that Roly is going to, as a B-side, be very valuable in the sport. Yeah, I, I think uh quick response here. I, did, I listened to the post-fight post pod where you and Lex were talking about that. I think you even compared him to uh, Conor McGregor, which I was like, whoa, that seems... I mean, I know you're not equating him to McGregor, but um, yeah, no, I mean, it's a good take. I mean, he's, you know, a high uh, value versus risk. Um, you know, the risk versus reward on him is very good. You know, he's been in the ring with uh, Tank. He's been through the pay-per-view promotion kind of twice um and did it well like really executed on the promotion side yeah i mean he he's not amazing you know um i I think he had a lot of cringe stuff but but in the end i mean all the right things happen you know in the barclays center every time he showed up on the screen people were you know people were booing him during the intro i mean it it worked um you know and we've had not not the same thing but like isaac cruz is another guy who got a lot of buzz out of fighting tank and we saw the reception that he got in uh that uh you know his blowout in his last fight um yeah i I just i think i think of it more as just like the pbc ecosystem at 135 just keeps getting stronger you know it's like when you have an interesting showing or a good showing even in a loss against a high profile guy like tank it raises everything up so suddenly a fight against you know frank martin who's still relatively unknown or michelle rivera or rayo could become a huge fight as like a chief support on a pay-per-view or something. So, um, you know, PBC has loved to do that, take the the B-sides and match them together. Um, I don't think it's necessarily going to be a repeat of like <laughs> Thurman Barrios where you have the two losers matched together and they're headlining all of a sudden. But um, yeah, it's just healthy ecosystem. And, you know, this could be a sort of like, you know, king-making fight mm. uh, for someone like Rayo, uh, or Frank Martin, or even like, I mean, who wouldn't want to see Isaac Cruz versus uh, Roley? I mean, I mean what that's great my fight thing. that would be. I mean, I don't know exactly. Like, I mean, the problem a lot of these fights becomes tweet tweener fights. I feel like that fight is bigger than almost anything, except being a pay per view level. I mean, I feel like that would be a great headline for a Showtime Championship boxing, or again, a great pay per view co main. I mean, yeah, it's great. No, that that's exactly where I was going to go. Is that just based off of what we've seen? Uh, Roly versus Isaac Cruz. I don't know promotion wise that that is great because Isaac Cruz doesn't really speak English, but like that fight in execution could be amazing. Um, Roly getting pressed, which nobody's really pressed Roly because he's typically the guy that does that. Isaac Cruz is definitely not about to be trying to box Roly off the back foot. We might get an amazing fight out of that, really, like a truly fight of the year style fight where somebody gets brutally knocked out um but yeah i i do think that roley's got himself a, a moral victory for sure here and earned some respect i mean which is exactly what you want you know if you're gonna put a guy on a on a big stage 
you want to be able to not have to relegate him back to the minor leagues, you know, fighting openers or whatever like that. Yeah. Yeah. Go on. Go go on. Yeah. No, just put it another way. It's like, I just think again about the PBC 135 pound ecosystem. Like when you have a weight class where that's really top heavy, where you have just one really big guy and then no one else, um, it's really hard for the other guys, even if they're good to kind of like bridge that gap. Um, and this, this will make it a lot, you know, and you know, I, I can already hear people are going to be complaining. We aren't talking about other promoters, but I mean, yeah, it's realistically fights are made within the same promotion, which is why we're talking about it. But yeah, I mean, this gives, this gives another sort of rung on the ladder, another way for, for fighters. who I think Michelle Rivera or Frank Martin, or, you know, maybe Rayo in a couple of years who are maybe better, um, to sort of build up. And, you know, again, like you said, you, you know, um, he has other decent guys to go in against. I say decent, just, yeah, I mean, good times. And, um, I don't know, even again, like, uh, Ryan Garcia keeps talking about the Isaac Cruz thing. I mean, even like, uh, Ryan Garcia versus Roley, if for some, some reason, that would also be amazing or something. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, there, there's just a lot of, you know, you can kind of mix and match. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, once one piece gets a little elevated, it helps everything else. You know, it's like um, rising tide raises all ships kind of deal. You know, it's just right. it's helpful for the weight class. I mean, he comes out of it, yes, with a knockout loss on his record. He's no longer undefeated, but greatly elevated name. No, for sure. I think Ryan and Tank. Ryan and Tank, I think if they put that on pay-per-view. Uh, Are you saying Ryan and Rolly? Yeah, well, obviously, yeah. Ro- Ro- Ryan and Tank, too. But Ryan and Rolly does a much higher pay-per-view number than I think people would realize. The, I like, think that is a pay-per-view, right? Oh, for sure. You, I mean, look, Roley, maybe you give him one fight back to get a, get a, get a victory back under his belt. But um, I think there's a lot there that people don't know that if that part of the story goes public, uh, like, you know, specifically the sparring story where Roley beat the shit out of Ryan in sparring, if that comes to light i think casuals would be totally um would totally buy into it and especially if ryan hadn't fought tank yet it like leads to a lot of questions related to the fight with tank i mean it it, it could be uh it'll be good now, obviously i'm not saying it's do a million buys but it would do a lot better than people realize anyway moving on let's let's hit the undercard real quick um arizona laura we, we kind of touched on this a bit um Deuce had a really, really good tweet about this, basically saying like Laura versus Spike kind of playing with fire as a co-main. And it looked like they really did. Uh, uh, I don't know, made a big mistake when this fight did not appear that it was going to be the quick stoppage that everyone envisioned. Uh, but Laura eventually got it done. But the question more specifically about Arizona Lara, what do you think about this dude and where is he at in the arc of his career? I mean... Super casual take. Um, he just, he looks like he has kind of the older fighter body happening. Um, you know, he's definitely reached the point. He doesn't seem to have the legs that he did. I mean, it feels a little bit like the, the arc that Rigondeaux's had. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, it's really about like, what are, what pieces are they going to try to put together at 160 and showtime? You know, it's like Jermall's moving up to 168, maybe, maybe Jermall's moving to 160. I mean, there's a fight. So this is again super casual. Is uh, Lara with Ronnie Shield still? I don't think so. I don't think so. Yeah, and I think the intention was like if he wants to fight out of there, the Charler brothers, he, he or you know at least um, 
yeah, I'd say either of the Charlotte brothers because uh, Ronnie Shields still has Quister Mel. Like, you know, he, he would need to be with a different promoter. So that, that seems to be generally what's happening. Um, Jamel could talk himself into fighting anybody. Just want to throw that out there. If anyone's like, well, you know, he would never fight Lara. Nah, Jamel's like one tweet away from fighting anyone. So, you know. Yeah, that, that I didn't just, say it's impossible. I just, you know. So that that is, uh, I think that's a fight that's possible. But I don't know if I want to see it, to be fair. Because uh, to me, Lara looks like um, where he's at in his arc is like, He's at the point where he still gives off the aura of who he once was. But like, if you actually watch anything other than highlights, you realize like, oh, this is a much different fighter. I mean, the, the legs, as you pointed out, were just, I mean, they were not there. The legs were not there. The one thing, though, is like upper body wise, he still looks so good. Like he throat. It's like watching like a like a former Hall of Fame pitcher or a basketball player like just you know they haven't played in like 20 years but you watch him take a shot and you just realize like oh yeah all the smoothness of their form is still there and it looks great now does it have the same speed on it maybe not does it have the same accuracy on it maybe not but in terms of like the 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 mechanics of it laura still looks so good throwing punches the only problem is i mean the power is not what it used to be the speed isn't even what it used to be and but the legs are just completely gone. Laura is basically a sitting duck at this point until somebody can come along and just put him out to pasture. Uh, maybe Jarrett Hurd could get a rematch and finish the job that he started in their first fight that they had. Although he he's a a far ways away from where he was when they fought. Yeah, I, I just <laughs> I I I. Uh, I, I tiny tangent went on a big rant about the whole like uh jared heard losing to luis arias luis arias totally shitting the bed in two fights uh you know, sort of just totally devalued but yeah i mean you have j-rock maybe moving up to 160 jared heard i mean you know we'll see kind of how that comes together it, it's been a little bit um slow to sort of coalesce um which you know i kind of get because if um they didn't know if jamal was going to fight canelo or not so i i sort of get that you wouldn't you know, you don't really know what's happening there, but um, yeah, he's just another guy. Sort of, there's some potential, but they haven't really pulled what they're going to do there. You know, sort of the opposite of what's happening with the PBC at 135, where you know they 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 have a string of fights for you know four you know four years worth. Uh, all right, so let's move on to our other undercard fight, and that was Jesus Ramos getting a decision over Luke Santa Maria. Was this the next step that you wanted to see from Ramos? I mixed feelings about that. Um, I heard you guys like <laughs> basically didn't even want to talk about this on the. No, the, the fight pod. was bad. Yeah, I mean, it's the, the Santa Maria reminds me a little bit of like Mauricio Herrera, a little bit of a spoiler guy. Yeah, um, good, good comp. Yeah, and I mean, the thing I kept thinking of during the fight was sort of like if you have like the range of performances you can have on the wide range is like. And I know this sounds pretty abstract, but I'm going to get to a point quickly. It's like on a wide range, it's like you can get a knockout win. And on the, you know, the bad end is sort of like a knockout loss. And I felt like the whole fight, he was like winning, but he was like being made to look bad. And like, you know, that yeah, was yeah. sort of, and sometimes I feel like that's a thin line between like uh, a fighter losing and making an opponent look bad and sort of 
like when that actually results in rounds getting scored. Like, you know, sort of the legend of Mauricio Herrera, I feel like was always exaggerated. Like people talking about the Danny Garcia fight being a robbery. It's like, eh, I mean, he was sort of content to lose the fight, but make Garcia look bad. And a lot of people turn that into like winning rounds, which is not yeah, really yeah, what yeah. happened. And, um, he, you know, I mean, this is definitely not the result. You, you get seeing the fight, why they thought to take this fight. I mean, one, uh, Jesus Ramos is being matched harder than anyone his age. I mean, he's really kind of peerless in that way. Um, so this is a way higher level fight. And in terms of the potential for it to go wrong versus what other guys around his level are taking, but he had a big size and strength advantage. And I think, you know, his side thought, okay, you have the storyline that he got the questionable decision over the uncle. Uh, we can do this fight and he'll be able to physically overwhelm him. And when, when he had success, he, he did kind of do that, but, um, you know, if they thought it was going to be, even if, you know, I don't think there's any question that he won a, a dominant decision in terms of the actual punches landed and the quality of the punches, you know, it didn't, it didn't look good. I mean, this was a nice spotlight being on the tank undercard and, uh, it, you know, did not live up. Yeah, this was, that, that's, that's, that's a really good comparison to Mauricio Herrera. Like guys who was like, I'm not, not necessarily there, like, not that they're not there to win, but like they're not there to really win. They're there to make you look like shit and not let you get anything off. And like they will get some offense off, but like it's overshadowed by what they're taking away. It's like they're playing an expectation game. You know, it's like I'm clearly the B side to a higher profile opponent. If I can make him look bad, that's kind of a moral victory. And, you know, some people are actually to the extent that some people are going to be tricked into actually giving me if I don't really just um yeah uh but yeah I mean we'll see Jesus Ramos on the TV it was interesting to and this happens just kind of like a TV phenomenon where like the commentary crew is seeing a fight one way for the first three four rounds or whatever then the unofficial judge comes in and was like yeah what are you guys talking about this is you know this this guy's doing x y and z and then the commentary starts to shift how they see the fight and I felt like that's what happened in this fight where commentary was like giving um, Santa Maria a lot more credit than I think he really deserved based off of what he was actually doing in the fight. And uh, Steve Farhard came in and was like, yeah, we disagree, guys. And then uh, they started to turn it around. It's like, oh, yeah, Santa Maria got this. Uh, you mean Ramos got this? Yeah, that's exactly what I meant. So yeah, anyway, Eduardo Ramirez and uh, Luis Melendez on the undercard. Anything you want to say? Um, I thought, you know, part of the thing, both with the Ramos fight and this fight, the crowd was totally not into these fights. Um, the, in, a, in You know, unlike with uh, the Lara fight that they actually got into. Um, I thought it was entertaining in spots, um, but, you know, it was like the arena was so not into it. And people in press were complaining about it. And, know i thought there was okay action but um yeah i don't know it's, it's hard to give a strong take it was you know there was well, no soup no no fighter super dominated at any point it, it you know it wasn't a fight of the year candidate for sure but um yeah i don't know your your comment if you're on press row complaining you're uh i don't know man what do you expect like this was a good pay-per-view opener um did i enjoy the fight not really but like this is the type of fight that you get on pay-per-view openers, which is something that's like they were matched pretty evenly. I think the fight was definitely, like you said, entertaining in spots, but like 
openers for pay-per-view are are usually like it doesn't matter because like nobody's in their seats, no one cares. Um, and especially when you have a, a main event that everyone is there to see, which is like most fight or big fights or big cards, um, no one is really paying that close attention to an opener because everyone's anticipating the main event and they're talking about that. So like whatever. Eduardo Ramirez, that's twice though that he's looked pretty underwhelming. I think the magic whatever dust is starting to wear off on this guy and they may want to cash that name out before somebody else cashes it for them. Um, yeah. Right. I mean, I don't know that. The, yeah. I mean, Showtime doesn't have that much Showtime PBC. They don't have a lot going on at one, you know, I don't know if there's necessarily a great result there. I mean, the fight I felt that was there was for Leo Santa Cruz. Um, mm-hmm. They might've missed time that. Uh, yeah. Well, I think Leo might be going back down to one twenty six. So that kind of puts that fight into jeopardy because Ramirez well, wants to fight at 130. Well, that's what I mean about mistiming it because, you know, Leo's fought at 130, but now he's maybe going down. Ramirez has fought at 126, but now he's at 130. So, you know, that's what I meant. But anyway, we can move. Um, okay. Anthony Joshua training with Robert Garcia for the rematch with uh, Alexander Usyk. Just want to get your brief take here on this this pairing for, jo- or for Joshua. This seems totally random. I can't imagine we'll do anything. I mean, that's the equivalent. Like we've joked around at different times when fighters get like tons of tattoos after losing a fight. <laughs> and it's sort of like, they're just, I don't know, trying to like shock the system or something just to, just to make a point like, Oh no, it's not the same as it was totally different. Now I have bad tribal tattoos. Like, I don't know. I, I can't imagine that they would be able to form a good working relationship. You know, is Joshua even going to be happy living in that time zone? I don't know. You know, I, I say that uh, unless uh, Joshua is going to go. It's not even like really Garcia is known for being like a trainer of heavyweights. It just doesn't. Nothing about it makes sense to me. I, I, I say that I haven't read anything about it. I just saw a few reaction tweets. I didn't even see any like the, I only saw the, like the reactions to the news. I didn't even. So, yeah, y- your take. Um, I don't hate it, but I also I think that there are two things. One, how much of a difference is this going to make given the fight is like in eight weeks? That's not a long training camp for Garcia to truly implement stuff with Usyk. I think, uh, so that's one. Two, Robert Garcia's recent performances have for the most part been very underwhelming. Some, some I saw somebody saying like, oh, Garcia is a game plan guy. No, he isn't. Uh, Garcia has not been able to make adjustments for his fighters in fights in a long time. Uh, most recently, we've seen him come short, come up short with Mikey Garcia versus Sandor Martin, which was so out of character for Mikey Garcia to perform the way he did that I think the next time this dude fights, people are just going to give him a break. Um, I forgot the other performance that he recently had that was really bad. I think I put it in the chat. But... Um, there or you know Jose Ramirez against Josh Taylor, that was just a terrible performance from from Ramirez, and he looked outclassed at times in that fight. So that kind of seems weird to me. The other thing is that, and I think this is probably the most important thing. Robert Garcia is not a guy who's had a lot of experience training heavyweights, and there is a very very. There's a way you train heavyweights because they're not lightweights and they don't fight like lightweights. And yeah, that's I was alluded to that too. I mean, heavyweight is like almost a different sport. <clears throat> Plus, you you know, 
do you have guys to spar in the, you know, it's not like a heavyweight gym. I mean, do you have guys in there to spar? Like, it just doesn't make any sense to me. Well, I mean, like, who are you going to spar to get you prepared for Usyk is one thing. I mean, you're going to have to wind up sparring a bunch of cruiserweights to mimic that sort of speed that he brings Does to the ring. Does he have cruiserweights? I mean, again, it just, you know. But yeah, I mean, well, the, the pool of those guys is also very, very small. So, I, I don't know. It seems like a really weird pairing. And then, like, also, there's just the whole thing of, like, what difference is it really going to make? Joshua is pretty late in his career. He's already lost twice. Is it possible that this guy is just who he is as a fighter and no amount of changing trainers is going to help him get over the hump, kind of like Miguel Cotto in his career? Uh, that that could very likely be what we're looking at here. Or or I guess Amir Khan's another one who's like, you know, he changed, changed trainers a bunch of times. Never could get that big win. Well, that's, I mean, again, it's just a confounding thing. It's like, it, nothing about it makes sense to me. I mean, I don't know if um, there have been articles about it. Like I said, I'm I'm really on the outside of a lot of this stuff. Where maybe Robert Garcia pitched something, gave him some impression that he he had an had a game plan, really talked in Joshua's ear. But I mean, Robert Garcia's whole thing has been bizarre. Also, I mean, he was like super super like uh, involved with MTK. I mean, he went from, he would always have the like Mitsubishi hat and then suddenly had the MTK hat. Uh, Rick Merigian was signing all the guys in his gym, you know, as a go between with MTK. And then, um, you know, they, they sort of poached Virgil. I mean, it was just a lot of weird stuff happening with him. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, uh, I mean, is, I mean, I guess he has BAM like that. That's good currently with him but otherwise he's had kind of a string of l's uh, yeah, sort the, of feels like Franco... late stage freddie roach in some way yeah yeah and, and i feel like this is also just the the path most of these trainers take where it's like you just wind up becoming freddie roach as you get spread thinner and thinner when you become the name guy that everybody wants to go to right yeah you become sort of more of a manager of a gym than a trainer of fighters um anyway that that's more more than I have to say about it. If if there's a story there, I just don't know it. Um. Okay. So anyway, let's let's talk about the fights this coming weekend. We have George Cambosos versus Devin Haney. These guys will fight on Saturday for the real undisputed title, which obviously should not be mistaken for uh, the one that was fake, contested between Lomachenko and Tiafimo. Hopefully, you guys get the sarcasm or at least the joking nature of what I just said there based off of or that's based off of the really weird billing of those I mean, two it's, fights it's almost beyond parody it's so bizarre but i don't know i mean they had multiple belts at state line i mean both of those were great matchups at the end of the day yeah i mean anyway um so here's my thing about this i was looking at this fight the betting line seems a lot closer than i think that this fight is in theory where do you sit on this is this a close well, I don't fight know. for what, you what are what are the odds Take a guess. I already gave you a big hint. Um, well, you said closer than you would think. I mean, I'm not surprised they're close. So that that, that isn't surprising to me. Um, I would say um, it's also because, I mean, it's the betting odds you get. I, I'm not going to guess the betting odds because you don't know how, like, crazy Australian people are betting. But in terms of my personal odds, in terms of what I would think would be, um, I would say Haney, uh, two to one favorite, like a minus hey. 200. He, well, he's at minus 185. Okay, so I was pretty close. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I just like I'm not one of the crazy Haney boosters. Um, I, I think he's good. I don't, you know, I'm not. I don't swing in the whole other direction either. But a lot of his performance has been really underwhelming to me. I definitely, you know, I'm of the believer that you know there are two ways that you show how good you are by beating a good name, and it doesn't necessarily have to look good, or beating someone who's a lower level, and you should look very good. And you know, it's like Gamboa fight, Linares fight. I feel like there are 20 guys who could have beaten both of them and probably 10 guys who could have knocked both of them out. Um, I don't know. I just, there, there are lots of things Haney does really well. There are lots of things that he does that are very questionable. And Cambosos looks like a totally ordinary fighter who, you know, the, the Tiafimo fight was more about Tiafimo defeating himself. Um, but I don't know. It doesn't. So to that point, it doesn't seem like it would be enough to beat Haney. But Haney, to me, does not seem unbeatable to me at all. Uh, what What is your take on the fight? I feel like Cambosos has pulled the wool over a lot of our eyes. And, and maybe I'll be wrong come uh, Saturday night when we have resolution here. But, like, did anybody watch Cambosos pre-Tiafimo fight? And then did anybody take a look at, and not to excuse Tiafimo for the loss, but like there were things going on in his life that you can totally see why everything just came to a head that night and Cambosos wound up taking the win there when in theory Cambosos was a big underdog and that was for a reason because prior to that fight, Cambosos stood out as like a C-level prospect, uh, arguably should have lost against Lee Selby who then got smoked by some random uh, uh, Argentine on a card nobody watched, which kind of sets where Selby was at in his career. And so part of me feels like the George Cambosos that is that people think, you know, the guy who they think is George Cambosos is really not that guy. And if we just kind of even average out his performances over the course of his career, it's not they're not good enough to be plus 140 against Devin Haney. Devin Haney is a blue chip prospect, a tier prospect, however you want to say it. Uh, you may not like to watch him fight. And there are plenty of people that don't. The talent is there. It's hard to deny that this dude is a talent. He's, he's figured out a way to reduce risk in his fights. And whether he's got something to hide in the ring or not, he's certainly figured out a way to make sure that nobody can find out any weaknesses that this guy's had. Um, I mean, do you remember the end of the Linares fight? I do, but he's also been able to work through that stuff and for the most part, keep that like hidden. And so Devin Haney right now, I think just on paper, like you look at these two guys, you would think that Haney would be a big favorite here. But the bet, but but maybe the book is setting it based off of people's perceptions and not actually how the fight is going to play out. But I really do think that um, Devin Haney is going to clearly win a decision against George Cambosos on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, that's that's where I say, you know, a favorite, but not an impossible favorite. I just, you know, when you can, see... Can I, may I uh, do the thing where I say, do you think it's not impossible because they're in Australia and uh, something, something Jeff Horn? Well, I mean, actually, I was going to use the Jeff Horn example to support what you were saying before. And I actually didn't say it because I felt like it was too on the nose with another Australian guy. But 
Um, yeah, I mean, I remember watching tape on Jeff Horn before the Pacquiao fight where he had been buzzed multiple times early in his career against like zero level opposition and just said, you know, this guy's a joke. Pacquiao on his worst day will just walk through this guy. And then Pacquiao on his worst day walked in. (laughs) Yeah. Pacquiao on his worst day walked in and that isn't what happened. That didn't magically make Jeff Horn good. But I think even when you talk about the Lee Selby fight and stuff, I I think, uh, Cambosos is just a better fight fighter than Horn. And like I said, I just, you know, I feel like there's a hype around Haney, which is, you know, there are lots of things he does very well. He's very young. You know, you always give a young fighter the benefit of the doubt that they can improve over the course of their career. But there are so many things which are just kind of questionable, you know, Um, like, I mean, this is sort of um, (laughs) an unhelpful comparison to my point, if I'm going to compare him to Lomachenko, but you know, a, a you know very fantastic fighter, but a guy who's also lost twice in a relatively short career in terms of the number of fights that he's had. And, you know, there was always this bizarre thing where people would talk about, oh, he's small for 135, even though he fought as an amateur at 132. It's, it, I feel like it's less that he's small for 135 than he just never showed a lot of physical strength and power for that division. Um, you know, with a lot of fights going the distance, even once he would win in a dominant way. And um, you know, he fought other fighters who had more punching power and who were stronger than him. You know, I, I feel like it was less about his size, again, as someone who fought in the amateurs at 132 with same-day weigh-in, um, than it was just about, you know, him not really having those great physical advantages. Um, when you look at, you know, Linares, who's been knocked out how many times? You know, has he been stopped like six times or something? And that fight going to the distance? It just, like, I don't know. They're just They're just weird gaps with Haney that in my mind, we just haven't really seen how it's going to play out. I really would not be surprised, like I said, when you talk about some of his best wins, and I feel like there are 20 fighters in the division who could beat those guys. You know, how much does that really mean? Um, I, I don't know. I just, I see still a lot of question marks. And I say that even with all the things that he does so well, and him being young and maybe having the ability to uh, improve. Anyway, I'm just repeating myself, so I'm ready to move on. Well, yeah. Um that's the one thing is like maybe Haney, you know, what if Haney doesn't have the power to really get Cambosis' respect? Then it becomes interesting. But the next question I have logically is like, what do you think is the best outcome for the lightweight division? I mean, I feel like this fight happening in the first place was not the best outcome for the division. And it's kind of stupid that it played. Um, Cambosis well, could have uh... made by far more money fighting Gervonta Davis. You know, there's a lot of questionable stuff with who's managing him, who's promoting him, what they were trying to get as side deals as part of this deal happening. Um, you know, okay, he wants the fight in Australia. So, you know, I can't totally say that it's just like sort of a fraud happening. Um, yeah. What, what's the better thing for the division? It's, you know, the fight itself is going to tell that. If either of them wins a close decision, it just doesn't look that great. I mean, that was part of, you know, something you sort of alluded to with the Tiafimo fight. I mean, that to me was not a fight between pound for pound level guys, you know, that night anyway. You know, it wasn't like we have a new entrant into the pound for pound list. It was like, okay, you know, Cambosos caught Tiafimo as his life was falling. And I say the same thing, you know, if the best that Haney can muster at this point is the performances that he put on against Gamboa and Linares. That's not a pound for pound level guy. I just don't think it's that huge of a, a thing. I I think it's going to be a big event in Australia, but 
that again is, is sort of a blessing and a curse because if Cambosos wins, you know, being a big draw in Australia is not really the greatest thing in the world. I mean, it's going to be on ESPN, but I don't know. Um, so to bring it full circle, what's the best thing that happens is that one of them actually looks like, you know, a major player people are going to get really excited about. And, and I'll just say, uh, certainly always going to want the American guy to win. But I don't know. Do you have a stronger <laughs> take than that? Uh, well, I would just say that I think that Haney winning, um, I think is better for the division because I feel like Cambosos with the win over TFEMO already can easily just jump right back in. Haney losing gets set back because this is his first major fight. And I think, you know, if Haney isn't the, the guy, which, you know, who knows, he may or may not be. But getting the win over Cambosos allows him to have a much longer longevity, uh, which I guess overusing the word there, but the is longevity in the division would be going to go a lot further than if he loses and he basically gets tossed in the not big dog crowd. So I, I don't know that that that's, I wouldn't say I'm rooting for anybody here. I, I just hope that we get a good fight, but I do think that for the division, Haney winning is probably a better outcome. But I don't know. I think Cambosos, I, I, I would, would definitely hear an argument for Cambosos because I do think that he is selling himself pretty well with this fight. Um, he's a little corny, but like, I mean, who isn't? And um, I, yeah, I do think Cambosos does got a bit of personality and he brings something unique into the ring that these other dudes don't. Yeah, I'll, you know, let me just touch on what you were saying before. Um, you know, if the whole thing with Haney is his potential, right? Because when I'm talking about some of his recent performances haven't been pound for pound worthy. Um, I guess that that is really the significant thing. You know, if the, if the whole sales pitch on him is potential, then as long as it doesn't get derailed, there's still sort of a chance thing can come out of that. Whereas I think everyone feels that this is, you know, if not this fight, then the fight after this, some, someone's going to be Cambosos. Just, I think everyone thinks that. There's just, he's, he's too ordinary in a, uh, a division of killers. Um, yeah, I, I think any way you slice it, any version of it is interesting, even if it's not incredibly dominant. You know, there's still promise that he could continue. To- All right. And then uh, also on Saturday night, we have another great fight. Stephen Fulton facing Danny Roman. Fulton will be defending his two Bantamweight title or super Bantamweight titles. Roman has been... Uh, I guess you could say like a fan favorite in the more hipster communities of boxing. Um, he's been around for a while and has been pretty consistently excellent, showing a like a really dynamic offense and defense over the course of his career. You could argue that this is going to be the most skilled fighter that Fulton's gotten into the ring with. Um, I guess you could say without, you know, Figueroa would have been rated above him naturally, but like in terms of raw skills being brought into the ring, Roman might have full <clears throat> Figueroa outdone there. Um, but un- unlike the Cambosis Haney fight, Fulton is a very big favorite over Roman. Do you see Fulton as the big favorite heading into this? Uh, I mean, Roman went back and forth and arguably should have gotten a decision or at least a, a more favorable, some more favorable scorecards in his fight with uh, the other unified champion in the division, Akhmedaliev. He lost a decision though, but that fight really could have went either way. And I think commentary specifically did a really poor job highlighting the success 
Danny Roman had in that fight. So with, you know, that history that Roman brings into the ring, you think Fulton really is that, that big of a favorite coming into this? You are muted. So, yeah, I mean, I'm the, the casual guy in this pod. Just remind me, what are the what are the betting odds? Uh, I don't remember, but like it's like he's like minus 600. Yeah, that that seems crazy. Yeah, I mean, there, there are a lot of little interest. I mean, just just to start with the top line things. I think it's going to be a good fight. Um, definitely a good B side. I think they will be good dance partners for the for each other. Um, I mean, the Roman story, you know, when you talked about like he's been a favorite among hits, hipsters. I mean, just to give the elevator pitch on him, you know, he had, you know, two losses earlier in his career, but then uh, knocked out Adam Lopez on a Showtime card, then ended up in Japan and scored two upsets in Japan. Um, came back, had a string of wins, including a really exciting fight with TJ Doheny. And then, as you said, had that um, competitive fight with Akhmedaliev. Um, so, I mean, the few things at play here, Fulton, I think most reasonable people consider him number one in the division. Um, but a lot of hipsters want to say that uh, Akhmedaliev is number one, largely just I'm pretty much entirely based on the Roman win. So, I mean, if Fulton beats Roman, he suddenly has a much better resume plus the only win on that really matters on Akhmedaliev's record. So he sort of just makes Akhmedaliev relevant from that standpoint. Um, but Roman's been a hot and cold fighter. I mean, looked very bad against Carlo, uh, Juan Carlos Payano. I mean, relative to, you know, sort of going back to the um, Jesus Ramos fight, relative to how he was supposed to look. Uh, he didn't, that was not a showcase fight. And honestly, I don't remember, what did the what was the Franco fight like, his last fight? Uh, it was a very, it was an entertaining back and forth kind of war that Roman was like just kind of beating the shit out of him. Okay, yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Should be a good fight. I'm surprised it's that wide because I was going to say the one gap with Fulton, to get back to a little bit of what I was saying about uh, Haney before, uh, you know, hasn't shown himself to be physically dominant in the division. He's not necessarily, you know, he's very talented, but not a huge knockout guy. And uh, Brandon Figueroa definitely had a big physical advantage in that fight. I, I scored that fight for Brandon Figueroa. So, I, I, you know, I do see a, a window there for Daniel Roman, but uh, I don't think Roman is going to have the same physicality as Brandon Figueroa. So, um, yeah, it's it's one of those fights where it's like you see a bit of a window, but, you know, if you, it's it just feels like if you're uh, flipping the coin 10 times, it's, you know, maybe uh, <laughs> not, not the best metaphor, but, you know. Uh, let's get the coin out of there. But, you know, if you say nine times out of 10, it's like, okay, maybe romance, but it just seems like uh, more, more, more things are going to fall. Yeah. I, I do think that the odds are kind of wide, but I don't think that I am in a position to be out here picking Danny Roman. Yeah. It's like, I'm reminded of uh, Sean Porter against Errol Spence, where the, those odds were crazy wide. And uh, a lot of people are saying, like, boy, that seems so disrespectful to Sean. But the more you look at it, it just seemed like it's going to end up with Spence winning one way or another. And that fight ended up being more of an action fight than people expected. But, like, Spence still won. You know, it, it, it just kind of feels like that. Like, Roman's a good fighter, but it just feels like there are more ways for Roman to win, or for Fulton. Well, and then Fulton has shown that if you look at the ways Danny Roman wins fights, Fulton is also very capable at doing that you know and so 
that, that I mean, that's one of the things that makes Fulton s- such a complete fighter is that if you look at any fight of his, you can pull up a random one and you'll see him look like two different fighters. He's definitely a guy that's able to adjust and fight however he sees fit to win the fight. I mean, who would have seen him? Who saw him deciding that the way to beat Angelo Leo was to just beat him at his own game and just get on the inside and tear him up? Uh, that was unforeseen for a guy like Fulton, who previously to that point in his career hadn't shown too much of that. And it turns out he's a pretty damn good inside fighter. Although from Philly, a lot of Philly fighters tend to be pretty good on the inside. Uh, but yeah, I do think that this is going to be a really entertaining fight unless both of them decide to box, in which case, I mean, it'll be like a cool sort of technical fight, but I don't think necessarily action packed. You know, that's such a good call, (laughs) by the way. You know, it's like when you have a fighter who's not a counterpuncher fighting a counterpuncher saying, I'm going to make him lead. And then it just becomes the most boring thing in the world. Yeah, then we lose. That would be, uh, (laughs) what did you say? Then we lose. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, then the fans lose. But um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if uh, uh, Roman's going to galaxy brain it in that way. You know, you would think that he'd be better off playing to his strengths, I'd say. That there would be, I, like I said, I, I see a, a window for him there. And um, yeah, it's great to bring up the Angelo Leo fight because it's sort of like, is it going to be, is Fulton going to, I mean, is uh, Roman going to be able to make it more like the Figueroa fight where Fulton arguably lost? Or is, uh, you know, Fulton going to be able to make it more like the, the Angelo Leo fight where he was much more dominant? I think Roman's going to look at it and he's going to look at, what Leo brought. He's going to look at what Figueroa did in the fight. And Figueroa did have success. That was a pretty close fight. Uh, but I thought Stephen Fulton clearly won. Uh, but he's going to look at those two guys and say, well, I can do a lot better than what both of the, those guys did. Whether that's true or not, I, I, I believe that Danny Roman is the type of dude with that type of confidence where he is going to think absolutely he can go in there and do what those guys did, but do it better. And that would be the difference in the fight for him beating Stephen Fulton where those guys couldn't. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. But I think that that is the logic he's gonna pl- that will play out in his mind. And we will wind up getting an entertaining fight. I think it'll be entertaining no matter what. Uh, I don't, I, I've, so I, I, I said what I said about Roman for a reason. And that's because like I've not personally been a fan of Roman. I don't like watching him fight too much. Although his last fight was pretty entertaining, but o- over the course of his career, he was just one of the guys that like the hipsters liked, and I was just like, I don't get it. Um, so, but I do like the matchup here, and I do think it, it, we're going to get a, 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 an entertaining fight. On the undercard, we have David Morrell, the reigning WBA super middleweight champion, not to be confused <laughs> with reigning WBA super middleweight champion Canelo. And uh, will there be any consolidation of those titles? Don't count on it. But Morrell, one of the fastest rising young fighters in the sport, he's taking a decent step forward here against Calvin Henderson. It's a decent step up. I don't think that this is amazing. I don't think that this is um, anything other than just a decent step up for Morrell. And like, I do think his time is going to come where he's going to get a big fight. But like, He's still very young. He's still very inexperienced. Uh, but I think, yeah, this is it's just going to be nice to see David Morrell getting spotlighted here. And also it's on Showtime. It'll be their first time 
uh, with the David Morrell fight. So it'll be interesting to hear a different commentary team's perspective on Morrell as well. What's uh, what's the scouting report on the opponent? I looked I mean, it up Calvin when the Henderson, fight was announced, but I really don't remember. I mean, there's not much to say. Calvin Henderson, um, the I think most people will have seen him fight on Showbox against Isaiah Steen. Okay, well, Showbox, so there you go. Yeah, and he, he took the loss there. Uh, oh, he took the loss. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, that's that's not what you want. I'm trying I mean, to remember be the better. fight. Um, it was on the Boca Chica bunch undercard, and I remember this card just not being that entertaining altogether. So I really can't remember too much from this fight, to be honest. Yeah, I mean that's what I was saying. Uh, you know, it's like in past. Uh, times I would have totally watched all the tape on him that I could have found. Well, so I love Morel. I mean, that's another just sort of. I mean, I'm so high on him. Uh, I'm happy to see him just back in the ring. And I get the sense they've had a hard time getting opponents for. Uh, super yeah. middleweight's also an expensive decision. Uh, division. Otherwise, you'd think he'd be more popular. Um, sorry, none of the words are, are coming out right. Um, otherwise, you'd think he'd be more active than he has been. Um. You know, it's getting to be, I mean, he was at one point, you know, the super fast paced guy and he still is in terms of his progress relative to the number of fights, but in terms of his time as a pro, I mean, that the time's sort of adding up and the number of fights isn't, uh, unfortunately, um, you know, he's also the, the, just to throw out, I mean, this is an armory fight, which is interesting for Showtime, you know, that, that, that venue had been associated with Fox card. So also interested to see, you know, that whole thing. And we see a Showtime card from there and Morel being, a, an armory guy, um, yeah, I, I'm super excited for it. I guess, uh, you know, wish I'd done more homework on uh, the uh, Calvin Henderson. That uh, is the yeah. name. Before uh, I'll, I'll check that out before before Saturday night. So um, for, for I mean, if this was not obvious to you guys, the Cambosos Haney fight will be on ESPN. Fulton Roman will be on Showtime. Now, there's a little bit of breaking news. I want to get a little one line. Uh, your instant reaction to this. Frank Sanchez has left Eddie Reynoso and will be training with Joe Goosen. Well, that's interesting. Um, I, you know, it's funny. Someone told me that like two weeks ago. I or mm-hmm. someone told me that at was it at the fight? Might have been at the fight. Uh, talking about people then exodus from the arena. Um, yeah, I don't have any major comment on that. I mean, um, who else was it? Uh, Joe Goosen is training uh, one of the other Cuban guys, so it could have been a connection through the management, right? Um, Giovanni Bruzon, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, Just a very interesting move. Yeah, I don't have a huge comment. I mean, it's funny because that was always the thing, you know, and and talking about Canelo being so confident moving up to 175 and potentially heavyweight. He's like, you know, I spar heavyweights or Eddie Reynoso would say, I've seen him spar heavyweights and presumably he's talking about Frank Sanchez. (laughs) So, (laughs) I don't know, it was always sort of a weird thing. Like, why does Canelo need to be sparring heavyweights? You know, just to get back to like the... uh, Robert Garcia thing, you know, what business does heavyweight do have doing in that camp? I mean, Joe Goosen has been a trainer of heavyweights um, and he has more heavyweights in his gym, I think. Good call there. Um, so that, that makes it relatively a better fit. Um, you know, he's also more PBC aligned, whereas the relationship between seems to be very bad and, the, you know, that camp seems to be very bad with the PBC, whereas at one point it seemed to be warming up for a long time. That seems to have um, but that's my, like I said, very casual take. Do you have any uh, bigger thoughts on that? My take is this. Whatever helps Frank Sanchez be 
more watchable, more entertaining. I'm all for it. And that Reynoso partnership was not it because I could not stand watching this dude fight. So you know, that's, here's to uh, Joe, Joe Goosen hopefully making him an entertaining heavyweight. Just gonna say that's a that's a really good call too. I mean, the thing Joe Goosen is more famous for than anything else is that you know <laughs> Diego Corrales fight, and uh, you better fucking get inside on him. I mean, he's a guy who's always urging fighters and on commentary as well. You know, he'll say, you know, if you can go for a knockout, go for it. Uh, what are you doing, letting that guy still be in here? Um, you know, advocating for pressing inside to make fighters uncomfortable. So you know, he's definitely an offensively minded trainer. So probably a good decision in that way if that's the main thing holding frank Sanchez back at this point watchability of it and with that we will wrap it up right there um thank you guys so much for listening if you like the podcast rate and review it if you um also want more you're like hey do you guys do more podcasts yeah we do patreon.com sunday puncher and then of course the the crown jewel of what we do all right i i guess the patreon is our chat which is uh you can get in for one dollar Blah blah blah. You can go read it, and if not, whatever. Yeah, best um, thank boxing you guys so community much. on the internet. Absolutely. But yeah, don't don't sell the podcast short either. I mean, I've been enjoying you know the podcast you've been doing with Lex and Rollins. Good stuff. Um, um, yeah. So that's all that. Thank you guys so much for those of you who do support and all that stuff and that make up our community. We really do have a great community, by the way. So just, I mean, I really do want to say, impress upon that community of people that are out here talking about boxing and trying to uh, uncover the truth. I don't know. I, I don't know. We got to, the, the, the community needs to come together and think of how we, how I should be saying this and how you guys want to be billed. But anyway, um, thank you guys so much. We'll be back next week. Catch us on Patreon. If not till next time.